Welcome to Out of the Woodfoots, here with me, Rachel Forde, a podcast where we'll be talking about dogs, dog training, and more importantly, human social issues, both in the dog industry and in the world. Today we have Aaron with us, who makes just the greatest and coolest art to do with dogs, animals, people, and science. In fact, he actually designed this podcast cover art. He will be talking to us about dogs, cats, art, and even more crucially, being a trans person and the worries that may come as part of that due to transphobia in our world. And of course, the dog world is not exempt. I had a lot of fun speaking to Aaron, so I hope you'll enjoy this episode too. Let's get right into it. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, yeah. I'm really glad to have you here. Could you tell the people listening a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. My name is Aiden. My pronouns are he, they, although I prefer people to default to he when speaking. You know, hey, sorry, they is kind of a special occasion pronoun for weddings and such. Yeah. And yeah, I studied biochemistry and then did a master's degree in biotechnology. And then I said, fuck it, uh, this is not for me. <laughs> so now I do art and science communication. That's amazing. I really love that you do that. And uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, you post about your awesome dog, Pilly, on your Instagram. Yeah. And I love her and I love her teethies. Uh, but could you <laughs> tell us more about your story with Pilly and how you ended up with her? Yeah, Pilly is currently eight. I adopted her when she was just 11 months old. Mm -hmm. And I was just 17, which was a terrible idea. I should not have adopted a dog at that time, but yeah, life happens. And yeah, I didn't get her from a really nice shelter, honestly. They were really dishonest mm. in the process. She had never been inside a house and she was almost a year old. It was a mess, but thankfully, you know, she pushed me to learn a lot about dogs and behavior just to kind of get our relationship to a better place. Yeah. And now we're doing great, honestly. Oh, that's really amazing. And when she first came to you, was she already like really cuddly or did she have some issues that you got worried about? She wasn't afraid of people, mm -hmm. but she wasn't so into people as she is now. You know, she was like, I don't really care about humans that much. Yeah. And she was terrible with children. She wanted to play, I guess, as she got overexcited. And she was super mouthy. Oh. And she was reactive and she destroyed furniture. Like, she had never been inside a house. So she was fearful to go into a house. And then when she was inside, she was super destructive. She had no idea what a dog toy was. <laughs> and she didn't care. So, uh, yeah, she basically destroyed everything I hold sacred. <laughs> oh, all of your belongings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was really hard to manage, too, because she was a young dog, super strong, athletic. Uh, she was really hard to just contain her destruction circle. Yeah, I can imagine that's really challenging, especially when yep. you first got her so young as well. And you also have a very handsome cat, Darwin. So who came first? Was it Darwin or Pilly? And did you need... Pilly, Pilly. Pilly came first. Yeah. Did you need quite a bit of time to integrate them together or was it quite natural? Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, because Darwin was also kind of an accident. I wasn't planning on getting a cat. In fact, I'm ashamed to say that I was one of those people that said they were not a cat person, but not because of fear or anything, which is valid, like a valid reason not to 
to be. Mm. I was not a cat person because I had a really controlling mindset around animals. And I was like, no, cats are too independent or whatever. Mm. But Darwin, what happened was in the neighborhood that I was living in, this stray cat had a litter and some teenage kid took the kittens away. And then I, we tried to get the mom to accept the kittens back because that's the best thing to do. But it didn't work and two of them died. So I had to raise these little two tiny kittens and I wasn't planning on getting and I was planning on getting them adopted but I fell in love with this little cat so much that I had to keep him and yes it was super hard because Pili wanted to eat him oh like she definitely wanted to eat that cat right oh no and so that means you kind of hand reared Darwin like yeah 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 he was literally just he was just born like I got him when he was a day old I had to cut his little, oh, this is worse, but I had to cut the little umbilical cord. <gasps> yeah. Oh my goodness. I didn't know you had to do all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought he was going to die, really, because what you read online, and it's true, yeah. uh, that it's really hard to raise a cat from that age, because even when you get the proper milk and everything, they just need their mom. It was so hard. And having a dog that, you know, Billy, she was a stray, so she probably had been eating rats and rabbits and probably cats too, honestly, and she was not happy with the situation. But yeah, it was honestly easier than I might have expected because those first two weeks were hard. But then Billy sort of just got used to him. Okay, so it, was it quite natural? Did you have to have like a lot of things set up or yeah. do a lot of training? Or I had to do a lot of management, but not that much training. Mm. Like she just got used to him just by virtue of having a really strong management system in place. Yeah. And she kind of got it by herself. I didn't have to do much training, honestly. Yeah. They're quite close now as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why Darwin's like your son. Because you, yeah. really, you really raised him. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he will come to me and he will ask me to sing to him. He literally, uh, he won't stop looking at me and bowing at me until I sing to him. He's a dad's boy. Oh, I love him. I love cats. Um, I, I probably say this in every episode where we talk about cats. I love cats. Uh, <laughs> cats are great. Honestly, cats are great. Cats have taught me a lot about how to be nice to dogs, actually. Mm, that's really interesting. And that comes on to the next topic because obviously you live the force-free life with Pilly and Darwin and they are so loved and happy. Yeah. And I know it's hard sometimes with dog guardians finding out what to do with their dogs because there is just so much information out there. So how did you you first get into knowing about force free or positive reinforcement based training can i ask you something first yes go on am i the first not dog trainer in here you might be yes <laughs> oh my god such an accomplishment am i also the first crossdresser you might be yes <laughs> <laughs> great i'm such an accomplished young man I had this, you know, education in place where I just did things with animals the way things are done here in South Spain, you know? Sure. And I know this is a stereotypical answer. I'll try to be more interesting in the future, but <laughs> just really kind of forced me to learn about dogs because she was not responding well. Like, I know all dogs won't respond well to that and followed from the use of punishment happens in all dogs, but Pili particularly, she was not having any of it. Yeah. And that kind of forced me to look for information online, which is a terrible idea. <laughs> right. But I came across Emily Larlam's YouTube channel. I don't know how, but I was so lucky because I did know a lot about using food to train tricks. It just never occurred to me that you could use food, you know, 
for anything really right. and play for anything and positive reinforcement. So that got me interest, interested in the science of it. So at that time I was in college for biochemistry. So I, I had already some notions of how to look for science and how to interpret it. So I got into behavior science and started reading about that. And then I joined Instagram. So it was first YouTube, then the science and then Instagram. Oh, wow. That's such a good journey to finding out. And I guess, like you said, having Darwin, having a cat also played a part in kind of understanding consent with our dogs as well. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, at first, like Darwin is such a happy boy and he likes to, you know, go on walks and generally just do a lot of stuff with me. And at first I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to be that person walking a cat and the cat is just going to do whatever he wants to. Yeah. And that kind of taught me, no, when I'm walking a dog, I also want the dog just going around, sniffing, doing whatever, you know. So having a cat has taught me to, you know, treat dogs a little bit more like cats because people respect cats a lot more, I think. They really do. I don't know why, but there is this sort of disconnect where you might see someone use a shock collar on their dog or like a prong collar or whatever when they're walking yeah. their dog, but then the cat is on a harness and just doing whatever they want at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you can do the same thing. Yeah. You can do the same thing. I have fantastic news for you. Yeah. You can treat dogs nicely too. <laughs> yes. Exactly. You can treat them as independent beings as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. really important. So are you one of the few people in your area that you see using treats in your walks or in your training and things like that? Is it more punishment based in your area? Yeah, absolutely. Tools are not very common here. Like you only ever see slip leads and then the occasional prong. Okay. But tools are not really common. But there is such a strong punishment mentality around dogs. Mm. And so few people actually go around with treats. And I haven't seen anyone using a long line, honestly. Maybe in the city I have, but not right now. I'm living in my hometown and here I think I'm the only person with the treat pouch and the long line which is sad, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I hope that if more people see you out and about doing it, that maybe they'll think, actually, that seems to work and Pilly's such a good girl. And you know, <laughs> uh, Yeah, when, when I take her to, you know, to cafes and such, I love to bring her mat and everything. I don't, I sometimes leave her at home, but when I take her, I'm like with a backpack with everything she needs. And people are so surprised that I will carry a backpack for things my dogs need. And I'm like, yeah, she's the queen of my life. Yeah. Like I do stuff for her. We're, we're friends. I don't know. Exactly. I mean, that's what I try to do if I see someone walking in front of me or, you know, behind me or whatever with a dog on a prong or whatever. I just try and walk in front and just keep giving oh, yeah. treats yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? I know that feeling. I know that feeling. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, but I will expect my dog to be happy about seeing dogs in prongs or something because she gets a ton of treats. Yeah. She gets all the treats when a dog is not being treated very nicely. <laughs> yeah, I know. But then it's, sometimes it's the opposite, right? Yeah, it's the opposite. Because I remember you made a comic about this where your main character dog looked quite worried at a dog that was wearing prong collars and, and shell collars. Yeah, yeah. I love that thing because... Dave, my dog gets worried about stuff like that as well. And he gets particularly worried if the person also talks in a very stern voice to the dog, like, Sit! and you see his ears go back and he's got the whale eye and things like that. And so Pilly's a bit like that as well. Yeah, Pilly's like that. And sometimes she'll try to go to the person like, are you upset or something? Oh. Pilly's is such a people uh, dog, you know, and she's, she's like intrigued and also a little bit scared and nervous. I, she doesn't like it. And I think it's it has to do with the other dog's body language, because a lot of times, you see those dogs who are super tense and 
you know, it makes our dogs also like tense, like what's happening? Yeah, exactly. They can definitely read a lot from the body language and be like, oh, I'll just... No, thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you make such great, bright and colorful art and graphics and comics about some of the concepts in force retraining or the lifestyle, basically. And I think your work has been so helpful for spreading the word about how we can be kinder, more compassionate to our dogs, but also to people as well. So how long have you been making art for? I know you mentioned a little bit earlier, but like, how did you get into it? Why, thank you. <laughs> For the compliments, um, I started drawing, I think, super early on, but my relationship with art has had its ups and downs because I think I started really early just to process the world. Like, I've always done drawings to, like, understand things. Right about the world and about myself. But then when I was in primary school, this teacher hated everything I did and she was very vocal about it. And I remember this time I drew a grasshopper and it was a nice grasshopper. These things stick to you, man. Uh, she said that grasshopper in particular, apparently she liked it. And she said somehow I had cheated either by tracing it, which by the way, tracing is not cheating, or my older siblings had done it. So I had a fucked up relationship with art from age six mm. to about 11 when I kind of rediscovered it. When I was a teenager, because when you're a teenager, you have a lot of stuff to work on, sure. <laughs> especially if you're queer. So I kind of rediscovered that. And from then on, I've been doing art like regularly. I just never saw it as a career before. Of course, now you do it professionally as well. I know you get commissions from yeah. dog trainers to do certain things, don't you? Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. I love all your collaborations that you've done with people. But it just brought to mind how punishing yep. your early experience about art was. But it's so amazing that you kind of found it again. And I mean, I had an early punishing experience with music as well. And Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it took me a while to kind of get back into it and then do sound engineering as my whole degree for a while yeah right takes years it can take years to actually get over it and sometimes i'm insecure and i remember that fucking grasshoppers like <laughs> it's so weird i don't know so something that happened to me is that i was good at science and so i thought okay so i'm good at science so i need to do science and kids word of advice just because you're good at something doesn't mean you need to do that mm. i thought that because i was good at science and science is a career and art quote unquote isn't i had to do science and now i do both things honestly i don't do science but i do science communication and art yeah, I think a lot of people have this idea that you're either or, you're either like a yeah. creative person or you're like a sciencey person, but you're both and people can be both. Absolutely. <laughs> so switching gears a bit, because obviously I also want to get into even more on the human side of things here. How has it been for you coming out as a trans person using he, they pronouns? I suppose, particularly when it comes to people around you, has that been a challenge? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I came out as bi earlier mm -hmm. and coming out as trans is like a completely different experience, in my opinion. Like uh, people are usually so much better about sexuality stuff than they are about gender. Gender binarism is a fucking virus, honestly. Mm. So yeah, uh, it's hard. It's hard. And especially it's hard if you're like me. To the listeners, I'm this five feet tall, tiny guy, still no mastectomy. So I have boobs. I don't have a beard. I'm not on T yet. So it's really hard when you are out and proud and you say, no, this is who I am, but you don't look the way people want you to look. That's so hard. 
people get actually more violent than that. Once you have some tea passing, then you can kind of relax a bit. Yeah. Are there like microaggressions or transphobic things you've heard people say towards you, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, of course. I mean, a lot of times just walking with Billy, I usually wear headphones just not to hear the shit. But yeah, when you, I'm in a small town and, you know, the teenagers here, especially, you know, the cis straight guys that are teenagers, they're just assholes. And I hope they get better with age. But, you know, yeah. there's always the comment or, you know, screaming like, what are you, a boy or a girl? You know. Shit like that all the time. Yeah, that sounds very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Because you're just out doing your own thing, right? You're just out with your dog and you just have to experience the world seeing you as other, basically. Yeah, and that's with a dog because when you go out without the dog, that's a thousand times worse. Especially because Billy is a big dog. And when I'm fostering two, when I'm wearing two, when wearing, <laughs> I love that I said wearing. No, when I'm walking with two dogs, that's heaven basically because nobody says shit. Mm. But when I'm just with Billy or when I'm alone, that's when people really think that they can be assholes. That's so odd. And I mean, that's really horrible. Are there places or particular things that you're kind of more aware of, you try to avoid, things like that? Yeah, I try to avoid walking with Billy at night. I mean, I don't have a yard, so uh, Billy needs to get out for potty. Yeah. And I try to avoid certain times of day, and I also try to avoid certain places. Because you just know, like, you just know if you... And also, you know, everything, just the way I move, the way I talk, the way I dress. If I'm maybe sending a voice message, I will avoid using pronouns, because if I use he pronouns of myself while I'm outside and people hear me, then that's guaranteed that something will happen, you know, shit like that. It's like everything in my life and everything in queer people's lives has to be, you know, so controlled. You need to be constantly aware of where you are and that's exhausting really yeah you carry the identity with you you can't yep. separate that right you can't be like well now i'm just the person walking a dog you are also a trans person walking a dog it's all part of your life yeah absolutely as a dog trainer myself i wanted to know your perspective on this you know as a dog guardian and with the identity that you have how can the dog training industry or really the dog world do better in supporting and working with lgbtqai people I'm not an expert on gender issues, you know, and queer issues, but I can answer this just from my personal perspective. I'd say there's three things that we need to do, like, now. Mm -hmm. And number one will be acknowledging the issue because so many people refuse to acknowledge that there is a problem. Yeah. And honestly, it's like so funny because it's everywhere. Like there's not a day. I can open Instagram right now and I can find you a queerphobic thing in two seconds. Yet so many people are so focused on the dog side of thing and they think like, okay, so this is the dog community, so it has to be cute and everything needs to be nice. And it's like, no, there's people problems too. Yeah. And we as dog people who are, you know, like you said, the other, we experience this on a daily basis. So we need to acknowledge the issue now. And I cannot believe that we are still on this phase of acknowledging the problem. Yeah, we should be way past just acknowledging. We should be in action phase now, we hope. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And number two, I'd say it's getting better at identifying it because with queerphobia, what happens is that I think a lot of people think about queerphobia and they picture, you know, me on the street and two guys follow me and calling me a transvestite. And that's like, that's not my everyday life. That's once every two months, you know, <laughs> but I do experience queerphobia every day of my life with those microaggressions and they are so much worse. Like when someone follows me on the street and calls me names, I'm scared and I feel so bad. But that person ultimately is an asshole 
I don't care about them. But when an authority figure, and especially in dog training, is saying shit, that's what actually gets to me, you know? And casual queerphobia is everywhere. And also dog whistles. So for those of you who don't know, dog whistles are when someone is saying something that doesn't sound whatever, racist, queerphobic, whatever it is, but it can get to that public. Like people know what it means. Yeah. So for example, in with queerphobia in dog training, calling our owners weak, and things like that, it's usually a dog whistle for queerphobia and sexism. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really good point. There is a lot of queerphobia and sexism in dog training, like just in the concepts within dog training as well, isn't it? Yeah, and transphobia is literally everywhere. Like every time people see straight people talk about gender, they are casually being queerphobic. They're not aware of it, but it's still queerphobic. And when you as a trans person read it and read, you know, that you are a woman because you have a vagina, then you're like, okay, I guess. <laughs> so you have to go go on with your day when an authority figure you probably follow on Instagram is saying that. And you have to kind of like, okay, uh, I cannot be the one to constantly call this out because that responsibility falls only on queer people. We cannot carry that weight because we are the ones experiencing that all the time. It's on the people doing the harm to learn about it and kind of improve, isn't it? Yeah. With learning about queerphobia, where do you think people can learn more about this sort of thing so that they can avoid and kind of refrain from accidentally saying queerphobic things? Because I know that at the same time, you know, it is in our conditioning, like it is yeah. society all around that is queerphobic. And sometimes there are these unconscious biases or implicit biases that people have that they might not realize is queerphobic. I'd say, so it's not on queer people, the responsibility to educate you, yeah. but there are queer people out there online who are educating people for free. So just don't try to take it for granted. Instead, just follow those people and listen to them. Because And please, for the love of God, if someone queer says something is queerphobic and you're this straight, just listen. Mm. Because it's so annoying when you have to be like, and why? And why is that queerphobic? I don't, I don't mean it like that. And I'm like, I don't care how you mean it. I'm telling you, this is harmful because of this. So just try to be more open about it, like people should do when a person of color says something is racist. It's the same thing. Yeah. Just listen to the voices of those marginalized communities. Listen to them and then acknowledge the harm yeah. and then learn better from that. I think that is so important. And that's something that the dog world needs to take away because... I think sometimes people get really defensive and that is understandable sometimes, but it's really about thinking about the consequences for that other person like yourself, having to experience this all the time and having to respond to this all the time. It's like you say, it's in your daily life and that can be really, really tiring. And honestly, I as a queer person have my own biases too. Like I sometimes have transphobic thoughts or biphobic thoughts or whatever, queerphobic thoughts in general. And I'm able to acknowledge them and just think, okay, I shouldn't be thinking this because of that and then move on. So it's not a personal attack. Yeah. It's really just so that you can do better and you can not harm those around you. And I mean, doesn't anyone want that? I mean, I guess some people don't. Yeah, oh, I know. And I think also even in the dog world, because people do hide behind their dogs a little bit that... Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm good to dogs, I'm kind to dogs, therefore I can't be a bad person. And that comes up a lot for sure. And that's the thing, no one is calling you, or I guess no, I think no one is calling you a bad person. Someone is saying, okay, this thing, this specific thing that you did is harmful because this. And you don't have to make a big deal about it. Like, I, I think that these straight people either react defensively 
or they over apologize and it's like oh my god I don't need to hear you apologizing for misgendering me for 20 minutes because those 20 minutes are gonna be about me you reminding me over and over again that you misgender me just move on yeah that sort of it's to make themselves feel better right to just go on sorry 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 but then yeah it comes across as if that was really hard you know like yeah right getting your pronouns right getting your gender right was really really hard oh i'm so sorry i'm trying so hard <laughs> it's so difficult and you know that makes it worse actually yeah yeah that makes it so much worse just move on and change your behavior or try to change your behavior i i actually told this to a relative who is doing so great uh, by the way about my coming out that she like didn't know how to react when she got things wrong and I said just correct yourself and move on that's what you need to do just correct yourself and move on and when it's appropriate you also need to apologize but this wasn't the case (laughs) yeah for sure just kind of apologize move on thank you for your time Yeah, yeah yeah for educating them because I'm sure sometimes it's really tiring and you just move on and sweep past it but it's a full-time job it's a full-time job I know you know something when you are a queer person you are never truly alone because there will always be a cis-straight person that's all up in your business always (laughs) oh dear (laughs) it's so true and have you been able to find a community in your area of like a fellow LGBTQAI people is it mostly kind of online and kind of meeting people that way I had the most queer and lovely and uh, you know it was amazing a group of friends in the city that I lived in yeah I absolutely adore every one of them they are goblins from hell they (laughs) each of them is like I don't know I I just love them so much but since I moved to this town this town doesn't really have that much of a queer community I know some bi people in this town which is nice And I do know that there is a trans girl in this town, but she's so much younger than me and we don't know each other. So right now my queer shenanigans are online. Mm, Okay, yeah. And also when I'm feeling spicy and I go out with a crop top, but that's... um... That's what's in a week. You should wear whatever you want because you look amazing, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm so hot, honestly, but uh, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, be brave about that. For sure. I mean, there is your safety as well sometimes to worry about. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing that people don't realize. It's having to consider, you know, what to wear, how you look like to go, just go outside and like do your shopping or walk your dog. And that is so tiring. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember you told me when the pandemic was on its highest highest grotesque glory yeah you told me that you had to really watch when you got out and where did you go yeah that's shitty exactly and whether to wear a mask or not because yeah am i more asian if i wear a mask or less asian if i wear a mask because <laughs> the people here were wearing they were not wearing masks but then if i wear a mask oh my God. i'm like the only asian wearing a mask and then if i don't wear a mask then i'm super asian <laughs> Oh my god. And it's just like, what to do? Um, And it's horrible. Uh, That was, I mean, it's getting better now, but I still, you know, I still rather not go out like late at night, things like that, uh, particularly if I'm alone. Yeah, I I get that. I get that. And I I also know that you and the first episode of this podcast talk about like for reactive dogs, for example, a common recommendation is walk them at night and, uh, you know, some people can't do that. Yeah. I can do that. And not just because of the danger I'm putting myself in, also because I'm not going to be a good trainer or whatever to my dog if I'm in that state of panic, literal panic. Yeah, because you're having to look around you. Yeah, you're in survival. Yeah, you're in survival mode and not able to stay more aware about the dog as well. So 
I know that's really hard. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I think representation is like the bare minimum. Yeah. And it is important. And I find that that is lacking in the training industry as well and I feel like sometimes it can go wrong in the sense that either people are being tokenized so like LGBTQ people being tokenized or even more commonly queer baited which for people who don't know queer baiting oh my god means implying or hinting at LGBTQ romances or attraction but then never making it happen at all so could you tell us where to find something that has great LGBTQAI plus representation? This question just gave me two years of life and moisturized <laughs> my skin. Seriously. Um, I let me t- do you have a, a moment to talk about my Lord and Savior Taika Waititi? Yeah, go on. <laughs> you guys, you shouldn't even be listening to me. You should go right now to watch Our Flag Means Death. It's a great show because it completely subverts the expectations of queer baiting because you're expecting it's a comedy show so you're expecting everything to be you know queer baiting because it's a very queer show so you it's like it's all gonna be subtext but it's not and it's amazing because it has so many people of color so many queer relationships queer displays of affection yeah it's so explicit and it's centered on queer joy instead of suffering and also it's not patronizing like there's a non-binary character and it's not patronizing at all. There's not a speech where this character has to say, oh, well, I was born a girl, but then, no. It's just pirates doing their thing. I don't know why you guys aren't watching this. <laughs> I mean, I guess people are watching them because it has been the number one show for almost eight weeks. That's amazing. And HBO is still not renewing it because they want the show to flop. They wanted it to do badly. Uh... And uh, that's why they did no marketing. But obviously... Queer people said, Taika Waititi is in this. I'm putting it right up my ass. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. So (laughs) now they're going to have to renew this shit. I hope they do. Like you say, the queer representation in it is really good. And it's not tokenizing. It's not sort of like, oh, we just have this one gay person or this one non-binary person. And their whole personality is about them being gay or non-binary. It's like so much more than that. They are actual people in it. And I think that's what we mean by representation. the non-binary person also bites people that's nice yeah that's a character trait that you need to exploit (laughs) and also really common for non-binary people i know so many non-binary people who bite you know folks (laughs) i love it's true you are so funny and (laughs) i wanted to ask obviously we talked about some i guess really hard stuff today some of the concerns that people in the LGBTQ community might have but do you have any advice or encouragement or anything like that for other LGBTQAI people young or old you know just kind of learning about this stuff yeah I guess I'd say always take your time don't try to force yourself into you know being this type of or that type of queer person Mm. just take your time and know what you like and you know just do things that make you feel good about yourself don't worry so much about being the right kind of non-binary person or the right kind of trans person because I guess those stereotypes are not really queer stereotypes. They are cis-straight stereotypes that cis-straight people put on us. Like the thing where trans guys like me need to be masculine and all. I mean, I'm an an example of that because I'm so butch, as you see. Right. (laughs) But... But being queer means being out of that cis-straight and, you know, gender binarism norm. So there is not one right way to be queer. That doesn't exist because being queer is defined as the other thing of that norm. I guess I'm just saying just be yourself, which is cliche, but... Yeah. (laughs) 
you just um figure out what's good for you and do that honestly yeah no I think that's really good advice and before I ask the last thing do you have anything you want to add or anything that I've missed no honestly I, I, I can't believe people are taking advice from someone who could pick whatever name they wanted to and chose Aiden. It's a good name. Well, you made it better. You told me it meant lover. And since then, I'm like so on board. Yeah, exactly. So for those listening, because I, I mean, I speak Mandarin Chinese and Aiden, um in Chinese, if we wrote it out in the sort of the English writing, it's Iron, which is lover. And I think that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a little bit, I, I'll confess this, I was a little bit tired of the name Aiden mm. because it's a made-up name. I made it up when I was actually a kid, which, by the way, trans foreshadowing. I was like, well, I, I'm not sure about this name. Uh, but then you told me that and I'm like, okay, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. That's me. That's you. It, it, it is you. <laughs> it's you embodied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So finally, is there a way for people who want to know more about you and your work or commission any art from you? Uh, is there a way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah. Okay. My account name is in Spanish. It's Perretología and I'm not going to spell it. It's a terrible name for a bilingual person. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you can uh, probably if you go to this uh, this podcast show notes yes. or you know you can find me there and also if you look for Aiden which is A-I-R-E-N oh my god spelling in English is so difficult if you look for that I'm probably in it because again it's a weird name and yeah you can just message me or click on the link in my bio where there's my email there yeah. and my Patreon page Um, you know all of the good stuff just commission me yeah. buy stuff from me and come to my house and I'll bake you a pie oh you're the best <laughs> <laughs> I will Thank you so much, Aaron, for taking the time to be here with us. I really appreciate the insight you brought us today and you're incredibly talented and you're just an awesome <laughs> person all around. This was really fun. So thank you. I hope you get lots of commissions. Thank you. I hope so too. And thank you for inviting me. I had a blast. I always have a blast with you and I can't wait for next year Eurovision because we need to watch again. Yeah, we have to watch it again. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. As mentioned, you can find links and transcriptions in our show notes. If you can't find the link in the description, you can find them on my website, dogandheart.co.uk slash podcasts. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support us and what we're doing, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash dogandheart. And you can get updates about future guests and episodes on our Instagram at dog underscore at heart. I'll see you in the next one.